moving on or leaving behind. There's a lot of posts and encouragement of just move on, leave it behind. But there are two different things, in my opinion. Moving on means that I have taken the lessons given to me and gone through them, looked at them, made some different choices or made a plan to make different choices. And I am moving forward. And perhaps that is like moving on. Leaving behind is something I'll do on minor things, such as a cranky neighbor. I might take a quick look to see if I could handle it better or if that's just how the neighbor is. Then I just leave it behind and that's the end of it. And this choice is a case-by-case basis for sure. I know I've had some wonderful deans when I was a professor, even a vice president, and when I tried to figure out what had happened, what could be done better, I looked to them as a mentor. They took the attitude and actually said, oh, just leave it. You know, it's in the past. Why deal with it? Um, Because how else am I supposed to learn (laughs) if I don't take a look at it? I'm not sure why this kind of dismissal is considered a good thing. Maybe people don't want to get involved. Maybe there's liability issues at work. But it's not just at the workplace that I see this. It's in a lot of conversations, a lot of families. Oh, that's just your father. Yeah, that's just what your mother does. Well, (laughs) is it passed on generation to generation? Absolutely. Unless we make different choices. And how can you make different choices if you don't first understand the knee-jerk reactions you had, the first choices you made without thinking, without even considering that there might be other options and without considering the repercussions of your first choices. Moving through something has lots of different stages. One of the biggest ones that is ignored is the somatic experience, meaning the physical autonomic nervous system reactions that one has. Very often, the body gives you your first red flags, your first warnings. And very often, especially nowadays, it seems like where we're so much more technological society than a physical society for most people, not everybody. But it was your body that tensed up. It was the hair that stood up. It was the dissociation where suddenly you found yourself out of your body. That gives us the first warning signs of something happening and we chose to ignore it or betray ourselves, or we went into the four F's, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, automatic responses again. I will ask people when we're working through something to go back to the event, to write before it. It's a bit of what is done in hypnosis. But this is not hypnosis. It is calling it back up, closing your eyes, especially if you have a practice of meditation. This kind of meditation that we teach here, which is to be very present, not meditation, to go away to some heavenly safe space, which is a wonderful meditation, but that's something completely different. This is a meditation where we deeply connect with our body, our consciousness, a higher consciousness, 
and our experiences. So I will often ask people, go get the bunny, get the bunny. Little dogs chasing a bunny. As soon as they get into tall grass, they lose it. (laughs) Get it, go get it. That, I guess, is the downside of being a short short dog. (laughs) Good girl. So I'll ask someone to go back to an experience, and if it has some trauma in it, to make sure that they keep remembering and telling themselves that it's not happening again. They are observing. And good girl. (laughs) Good girl. Good dog. Good girl, Hoshi. Longer legs. Okay, come on. So you go back to the experience and check into your body right before it happens. Not during, as very often that is way too scary. But right before, how are you feeling? Before the words were spoken, before anything actually started. Sometimes it's even a day before. Sometimes it's an hour before. Sometimes it's minutes before. And let's go back and see if you can re-experience some warning signs that might have come up. And we are so often with this, ah, forget about it. It's in the past. That kind of attitude. We are so often trained to ignore the subtle signs that were given to us. And this is not about shaming a victim. This is about how do we wake up? The drag of waking up is that as you start to wake up about things that happened, you're also gonna wake up to the present. And it's gonna make you a much more high maintenance person. And it's definitely gonna shift your relationships. Because once you go back and realize Right before this happened, I could feel this hint of anger. So we go a little deeper and find out, oh, the anger was somebody about to violate my boundary that I had set with them. Or my anger feels like I'm about to betray myself and sell myself out in order to make a situation work out or make someone feel better. And now because we've gone back to the moments before, slowed it way down and gave credibility and importance to all of our sensations, then I can start to recognize my beautiful alarm system. So then what happens in the present is my alarm is gonna go off and now I'm gonna notice it. And at first, it will be awkward because you're not used to feeling your alarm going off and what do you do with it? Sometimes you might suddenly end a conversation or you might start crying or shaking or sweating. And it's awkward because what you used to do was ignore it, muscle through it and take the hit. And now you've become the other end of the pendulum from checking out or ignoring to perhaps a little hypersensitive or hypervigilant. And a lot of people get upset with this, this part of healing, but it's a natural part of healing. I don't know if it can be avoided. I think after years and years of self-healing, you might get used to this so you don't swing the pendulum so far, but learning very often hits the stage of overcorrection until we can get more in the middle ground of options. So very often people go into that overcorrection stage, the hypervigilant, hypersensitive, or so they feel it is, and their friends and family might tell them they're that way because you used to be so easygoing, meaning, You could be made fun of, you could be ignored, you could be abused, you could be put down, you could be, quote, counted on, and now you can't. What happened to you? 
ever since you got involved with that terrible therapist or meditation or whatever they want to say, you're not the same person. To which one wants to say, thank goodness, but (laughs) people around you may not understand. So in that phase of overcorrection, so to speak, and changing, there's going to be a lot of fallout. Not only for you, because you're not going to be doing your classic knee-jerk responses that everybody is used to, whether it's at work or at home, church, or any other group you're involved with. But you're also going to feel incredibly uncomfortable because your new choices aren't really in place yet. And you might self-criticize that... You're going crazy. Uh, This is wrong. You can't be right. Maybe everybody else is right. You may even feel it was better the old way. And it might indeed feel that way, that it was better the old way, because you're used to it. Get it, Hoshi. Get it. This is why in the beginning, I would suggest not doing this work by yourself. After a while, you learn how to do it by yourself. But even when you learn how to do it by yourself, sometimes this material is so big, you need someone to ground you, guide you, talk to you, reassure you, hug you, validate you, etc. And there is nothing wrong with that. Someone to stand by your side while you change, especially if you have a large crew around you getting upset that you're changing and they will get upset. There's a story I have, which a lot of people have heard from me, but some have not. When I started changing a lot of my responses to my overbearing, narcissistic, not a narcissistic personality disorder, but a wounded child, narcissistic mother, I changed my responses to her and she was rather old. So she was doing her usual chatter and expecting my usual response. And I was just quiet and listening to her. We were in a car, which was a huge mistake, but I couldn't help it. I had to pick her up from the airport. And in the middle of this, my mother, the wonderful family therapist, turned to me and started screaming, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you reacting? Well, I was reacting. I was reacting differently. I was listening. I wasn't joining in. I wasn't soothing her. I wasn't validating her, etc. And she went off the rails for a few minutes there. And I don't remember how it got calmed down. I think I said to her in a very steady voice, I am reacting. I'm listening to what you're saying and thinking about it. So even when it calmed down, it was a very uncomfortable car ride all the way back to where I was living and taking her. It's an experience I never forgot. It wasn't like I was being rude or saying something different or behaving in a big way differently. I just switched from taking care of her with my words to listening and some active listening, you know, making some comments. So, oh, you said that and what did they do? And I thought, this is really hard. (laughs) And I had been in recovery work for, I would say, at least five years by that time. It was so scary and it made me really understand how and why people will often double back from recovery work because that wonderful story that they tell in 12 steps that you go uh, down a new street eventually in your work, that new street is when the real work begins and it is terrifying. So moving on to me means moving through, not leaving behind. And that means I want to go back 
and I want to re-experience the moments before. And what I typically find is once I take someone through that and we go to the next stage, which is, and then what happened? The person themselves, without me telling them, which you don't want to tell someone how to have an experience. You want to see how they actually do have the experience. They will see, feel, intuit, logic, whatever method that is working for them then, the connection between all those little warning signs that I was getting angry and then instead of getting angry, this happened. I checked out, I got sick, I had a re-emergence of all of my physical symptoms that I've had that have sent me to the hospital for the last two years. They will see this connection between I felt this, I shut it down, and then this happened. And I had no idea that's what actually happened. I couldn't figure it out. And this is such a revelatory experience. And it is something I find, like so many things I talk about, it's something to be used for the rest of your life. Because for the rest of your life, you will get triggered, you will be growing, you will get reactive. And we go back to our toolkit. At least I do. And this is one of the reasons, by the way, that people stay in 12 steps for so long. I know some people accuse it of being cult-like, but the truth is anybody can turn anything into a cult. They, I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen with my own teacher who shuts it down. Usually then the person leaves in a storm and attacks and writes articles or calls the police. This is a cult leader. It's like only for you. Now, I'm not saying there aren't really cult leaders. There are. But when people are who are leading something try to not be a cult leader, very often they will still get attacked. So going back to 12-step, it has been accused of being cult-like and cultish. And yes, it, it can be. I've seen animal rescue people turn into a cult. But the reason people stay in 12-step their whole life is because it's a lifestyle where... You realize you're powerless over something, which means you admit you do have a problem and you can't fix it or you don't know how to fix it. And then you begin to become willing to hand it over. Then you actually hand it over. Then you do inventory and you make amends. And making amends isn't telling someone you're sorry or telling yourself you're sorry. Making amends is literally beginning to make new choices. And sometimes that means going back to the original situation and doing something to patch it up so that you feel better, not to make the other person feel better. And sometimes it means doing something in the future to make yourself feel better about your old choices. So making amends is about healing your heart. It's not about saying you're sorry and trying to get off the hook or trying to make someone else feel better. It's about patching up some of the crappy things you have done to yourself and to others and trying to patch your heart up the best you can with the help of a higher power. So 12-step programs teach you a toolkit and then you go to meetings that remind you to use your toolkit. So this idea of going back to the moment before something happened, sometimes it's going to be days before, a week before, a month before. Sometimes it's literally seconds or minutes before something happened. And again, in the beginning, I would not suggest doing this by yourself. Just like in 12-step program, you actually you have a group and you have what we call fellow travelers and you can get a sponsor or a mentor. And that's typically what people do in order to get started. Plus, working with someone, you give someone else the opportunity to be of service. What a great gift for those of you who are gun shy about receiving help. You know how good it feels to help someone. Allow someone to feel that good 
by reaching out to you or responding to your request for help or service. On the other side of this, we don't want to get over-analytical and, as people like to say, of often psychology or meditation. We don't want to examine our belly button and pick out all the lint and look at it and get crazy. And sometimes you will have a period of life when you have to do that, when you first wake up to the fact that you are indeed suffering from chronic post-traumatic stress. I'm listening to a great book, by the way, by a psychologist who said, uh, and pointed out that uh, maybe as much as 90% of people get misdiagnosed by their symptoms. And the symptoms actually just point back to chronic post-traumatic stress from typically early familyhood but sometimes from going to a boarding school or perhaps, you know, living in extreme poverty in a really rough neighborhood can bring that about. So that depression, anxiety, um, OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, even codependency, the four Fs, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn of trauma response, Every one of these can point back to CPTSD. And instead of treating someone for depression, maybe we go back and treat for the chronic post-traumatic stress. Mind-blowing book. So excellent. And of course, it would reduce the diagnostic and statistical manual to a paragraph. That's the, the book of diagnosing so that you can, quote, treat based on a diagnosis manual that psychiatry uses, which, by the way, now includes menopause and menstruation as disorders, when in fact, we know if you go back and look at how the body was taken care of, we will find the source, the reasons for why these have now become disorders. So treating the symptoms, which is the Western approach, as opposed to digging in to find the cause, has become a huge industry as well as, to me, a, a very bad misdirect. So the same thing about leaving things behind. I'm just going to leave this behind. My childhood wasn't so bad. I'm just going to go to the next thing instead of digging in. So when you first start to wake up and think, I've got patterns here. They're no longer events. They're patterns. They're happening over and over again. I want to dig in and find out what the heck is going on instead of constantly treating the symptoms. You will be a little hypervigilant. You will get maybe even a little obsessive. You'll get oversensitive. And you might need to isolate yourself for a while or contain yourself or get help or all of the above until a lot of things get sorted out and then you start walking down that new street. And even then, as uh, has been pointed out, very often when alcoholics, for example, or drug addicts get sober, no one checks in with how they're doing when life is working, only when they're in distress. So you may get that also, that once you get up and running, you notice that you're kind of abandoned in a way. Same thing, someone goes through a divorce, everybody's there. Then when they get remarried, no one's there. <laughs> I was like, well, what about our friendship now? I mean, a new marriage is stressful also. It's happy stress, but it's not uh, a reason to not check in with your friend and how is it and you're married and how's the new house, etc. So for those of you who know people, support them when they're doing well, as well as when they're going through something. And for those of you who are going through something, remember that sometimes when you get back up on your feet, it can be very lonely that suddenly the people that were gathered around you in a helping mode aren't there anymore. They're not there to have fun with you, etc. And there's a million reasons for that. The point is, plan to get more support then. Okay, these people helped me when I was down. 
now who can I get with to have some fun? And it might be a new crowd now that you're making different choices. Aside from going through something on a somatic basis, let's say you go back and there were no warning signs. Another way to move through something to, in order to move on rather than leave behind is to go back and look at a choice that you made and write out the pros and cons of your choice because they all have pros and cons. Every choice has pros and cons. None is perfect in the good stuff and none is a disaster in the bad stuff. Let's say I decided to stay married. Well, we have a house. I have an income. I can finish my degree so I can try to get another job. The kids love their dad. He's not too destructive. Or the kids love the mom and she's not too destructive. And if I move out, it means stopping school, maybe forever, but definitely I've only got a year left. And it means stopping and postponing that last year. It means psychological attention, possibly support for the kids going through divorce, which the school may or may not be able to provide for them, etc. So you make a list of pros and cons so you can own your choice fully rather than wondering why it's going wrong, as you might put it. And instead, you understand that each choice had consequences. And that way, you can also look back, was this the right decision at the time? And do I want to keep to it or do I want to make changes? Making decisions is tough. And if you haven't had good parenting, you may not have learned how to make good choices. You may have learned to jump off a bridge every time, like when in doubt, jump. You may have learned, when in doubt, do nothing. You may have learned, when in doubt, do what's best for others. You may have learned, when in doubt, do what's best for yourself. Until you know what you were taught, you can't make different choices. Because if you've been taught something and you're not aware of it, you will tend to make a different variant of the same choice over and over again. You'll tweak it a little, but it won't be different. It will just be a different color of the same t-shirt. Another way to move through. Let's say you can't see pros and cons, or you write them out and they're pretty evenly, evenly measured. And let's say you don't have any bodily experiences because Hoshi, no. Hoshi, come. Come. Good girl. Yesterday she ran through a fence line. No, no. Come here. Come. Come here. Good girl. Into the gate. Good girl. Come on. Come. No, no, no. Come on. No, no. Good girl. No. <sighs> She ran into the fence of those two giant Labradors who always threatened to kill dogs and then spent the next 10 minutes on her back showing her belly so she wouldn't get slaughtered and finally crept her way out the fence. And here she was about to do it again. <laughs> Good girl. Come on. Okay, so you've written out pros and cons. You don't, you don't get it. And you've written out the... Come on. The... You try to go back to the body sensations. You can't figure it out. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Good girl. Good. It's a party animal. <laughs> Come on. Good girl. So neither of those methods work. Hello. Come on. Good girl. It could also be that you just have so much emotion about your choice that you can't see the forest 
because of the thickness of the trees. Oh, another way to go through this is write out hate mail. I'm always talking about hate and anger, revenge, grief, sadness, because people dodge these things this day and age. It's not cool, it's not spiritual, it's not Christian, it's not peaceful, it's not Buddhist. On it goes. But if we weren't, quote, meant to have these emotions, why would they have been created? So, <laughs> for example, dogs don't sweat, so they pant and let go of heat that way. Do you think the creator made a mistake with that? No. We're meant to have our emotions because they help us learn. And sometimes they're fun. It's fun to get angry about stuff. It's passion. How good is heaven? If you have a block on those emotions, you've been punished for being angry when you were a child, or your family culture taught you it wasn't religious enough, whatever their religion, or you're a girl and you're not supposed to, or you're a guy and you're not supposed to because you might get violent like your father used to, etc. Try writing hate letters. Go back to an incident and stream of consciousness, no logic, just start writing. You might hate the person, you might hate yourself, you might hate your supervisor, it might come out that you hate your mother, you might hate the creator, you might hate Jesus, doesn't matter. It's in you. It's there. It's real for you at this moment. So you write it out. No one's going to see it. And you think the creator doesn't know it's in you? I love when people say, you know, um, you know, this isn't right. I'm not supposed to feel this way. But you do. It's like when you have to go to the bathroom and you're in the car and there's no gas station around. There it is. <laughs> Just no way around it. Not convenient, not polite, but you got to take care of it. So write out whatever's going on. Revenge fantasies. Um, even fantasies like, why won't he or she take me back? And, and I would be their slave and I would wash their floors with a toothbrush if they would just take me back. If that's what's in your brain, that's in your body, write that puppy out and burn it. Again, this is a tool for a lifetime. And when you burn it, you say something along the lines of, I'm ready to let this go if it's in my highest good. Please take it from me. Because you can't let this stuff go. People tell me, you know, I've let go, I've forgiven, my favorite word for let go, my father. And the fact that you brought it up and said that says to me, you haven't. Because when you have let go, you're at peace with what happened. There's still usually some remnants of pain or sadness or anger. It's there, a little remnant, like... You remember the day uh, it rained and you spun out and crashed your car. And it, there's still some like, uh, about it. You're not all, it was great and God gave me that accident. No, you have a little bit of residual emotion usually. And it's neutral and, and you don't bring it up first thing to someone who you're going to for some help. Like, let's not talk about this because I've already fixed this. Oh, by the word, the way, they're using the word I, 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 I. No surrender, no acceptance, no talking about the process. It's just I know forgiveness is a good thing, so I've forgiven my father for beating and raping me for the last 20 years. <laughs> no, when there's real forgiveness... It doesn't come up other than to say, my father or mother did this to me and I've done a lot of work on it and I, right now it feels cool. Okay, now I believe you. So when you have this stuff, you write to get it out of your body, to give it to the creator. We don't worship a God or a deity or an energy force in order to be a good girl or boy. That is not worship. That is cult behavior. If we admire 
someone or something. We come before them with our heart in our hand, our honest heart, the real heart, our authentic heart. We might say, I want to be of service. I want to work with you. I want to be on your path. I am a flawed human being. And I am not looking for you to absolve my sins or fix me or correct me. I'm looking for guidance so I can do my own work to become the best person I can possibly be in order to serve you and the earth and everything on it the best possible way. That's how we have a spiritual slash, for some of you, religious path. Not, I worship you because you will absolve me of my sins so I can do whatever the hell I want and then go to confession and I'm absolved without doing any work other than going to church, giving money, or perhaps saying a few Hail Marys or whatever other practice another religion might offer you to absolve your sins. No, I don't agree with that. Not one bit. Not for any religion. Instead, I want to give this darkness inside of me that is ruining my choices and making me a lesser person and making me less clear and making me a lesser version of myself. Plus, it's haunting me. I want to give that to a bigger, more intelligent force, whether you call it Jesus or Allah or the creator, the goddess, great spirit, higher power, doesn't matter to me. I am asking for a higher intelligence to come in and show me the way out of this stuff that is in my brain and apparently in my body and definitely in my choices. So the only work I can do is to look at it and hand it over. The first three steps of every 12-step program. Look at it, admit it, become ready to hand it over, and hand it over. (laughs) And that's what this writing does. And it's asking for help. And you might write the same letter, say on self-hatred, or abandoning your child, or making irreversible mistakes with your kids or so that's how you see it that you were a drunk or that you were a thief or you were a liar or you had a temper or you dissociated and then you created a new generation of kids with problems who are now adults or young adults and you just don't see any way out of this but it's haunting you then I want to evolve past that. And I can't do it without help. All I can do is admit it, look at it, and then it may take a year or two of writing almost the same letter over and over again. So don't get discouraged if that happens. This is not instant. It's not Instagram. It's not a meme. It's not a workshop. It's lifestyle. It's kind of like getting rehabilitated from, say, a bullet wound or a car accident. It takes time. Physical therapy, rebuilding the muscles, reconnecting nerves, uh, redirecting the neurological processes to handle a wounded part of the body, maybe forever, or maybe there will be a total healing. You'll see. Come on, Pia. The other part of this is that You know, all these uh, wonderful sayings, it's all meant to be, which of course, we always use that when it's good news. I met my soulmate. It was meant to be. (laughs) Was it meant to be that you were a drunk while you were raising your kids? Was it meant to be that you uh, destroyed your marriage or partnership? Yeah. We don't say that when it's yucky stuff, but... Let's say it was meant to be. It was meant to be that you woke up and this is what it took to wake you up. And that doesn't mean that you are... Hello. 
happy. This doesn't mean that you are an idiot, hard to teach, evil. You're not going to be able to figure that stuff out until you cross over. But why can't you take the compassionate view of something that you're moving through instead of leaving behind and say, I'm going to treat this as a lesson from a compassionate universe who wants me to cut this shit out. They have a great podcast on cults, a little bit culty, and uh, how they happen, how to recover. And she has a little saying at the end about, you know, being a good person. And then she says, if you are a power-hungry, arrogant, narcissistic personality disorder trying to gain power and money, cut that shit out. <laughs> I love that. It's so, so simple in a way, but it isn't, of course. So let's treat the lessons not like it was meant to be because I'm a horrible, terrible, screwed up person. No. I'm going to say, this happened, it feels horrible, I feel horrible, it's hell, and I, for now, am going to assume that some amazing learning is going to come out of this. And that's as good as it gets right now. I know that helps me, because when I look back, sometimes at the worst years of my life, and I've had lots of those. They will change you for the better forever. So another part of moving on is to write down what you've learned or what you are learning about yourself and the progress you've made. Sometimes people will tell me something that's going on with them and I'll say, yeah, but you haven't been sick for two years. Or, your kid is now getting straight A's and before she or he was failing. You think your healing work has anything to do with why they're doing better? Because of the energy in the house? Because of who you are now? Is not, don't you think, why do you think your worst brings out the worst in others, but you don't think your best brings out the best in others? Which is not why we heal. It's just icing on the cake. So another part of moving through in order to move on is look at the progress. We will always have problems. My teacher once said that the idea is not that you'll never have problems. The idea is that your problems change. They get to be better problems. I have too many friends. I have too much money. I have too many animals. I have so much free time I don't know what to do with myself. I'm, my life is so good, I have time to be lonely now. Those are new good problems compared to, I have stage four cancer, my child just overdosed again, or died, or my husband is still drinking and beating me up. <laughs> if you've moved on to some new problems, like I don't know if I can get through this class in school, I would say to you, you are on the right path. There is no path that doesn't have challenges. I mean, going for a walk is challenging. You have to get up, get dressed, sweat, <laughs> make time, find a place, take time out of your day. Even that for a couch potato, going for a walk is a big deal. <laughs> so track your damn progress. And for those of you who suck at it, put a calendar on your fridge or somewhere where you will see it, your home office, and go buy some kid stickers from Amazon and put up rainbows and smiley faces and 100% and track that shit at the very least. If you can't write it down in your little what's working journal, at least do that because then when you start trashing yourself again or getting discouraged, you can just... Pull that calendar out. I mean, look at it. Save them from last year. Last year, this time, I was working on this. And now, that's gone. Like, that whole issue is gone. Holy crap. That's amazing. 
because we need to retrain our neurological pathways. We know this from mainstream psychology and science, EMDR, EFT, all the uh, emotional, I'm sorry, educational kinesiology, brain gym, that if we've had a rough time, the brain sets up neurological pathways that kind of seal them in cement until we break that crap up. And one of the ways to break that crap up is to start tracking your progress. And this is different than toxic positivity. This is different than not looking at hard stuff. This is different than leave behind. What we're doing really is reshaping our concept of what life is like and taking it out of the American film and television, which always does happily ever after and uses supermodels for stars and social media and reshaping the culture we've been taught into a more realistic, authentic, honest, and joyful version of what life is. I remember for many, many years, I refused to watch American TV and movies. You watch a European movie and it ends with, well, this was a slice of their life and we don't know what's going to happen next. And their bodies are normal and they're normal. They have wrinkles, they have fat rolls, they always don't wear sexy bras. The criminal hunters, the women do not run around and spike freaking high heels while carrying a machine gun. They're wearing work boots like the men. <laughs> So American culture in particular, I don't know if European culture has changed so much now that I can't say this, but American culture absolutely is toxic in what it teaches you. And what it does is it creates a consumer culture. If my life isn't working, I'll buy more shit and then it'll be working, right? Because it's supposed to be happily ever after and it's supposed to be... I get what I want and it's supposed to be stress-free and it's supposed to come to a good and happy conclusion after half an hour with or without commercial interruption. And your brain has been programmed into that nonsense. And by the way, if you go to a church, a mosque, a temple, or a synagogue that teaches this kind of stuff over and over and over, it changes your neurological structure. So you're going to have to do something else over and over and over to shift the neurological structure. I'm not telling you to quit your church or anything like that. I'm just saying you're going to have to counteract it because you've been programmed, whether you like it or not, unless you are someone who's lived in what we used to call in the 60s the counterculture. Maybe now we call it off the grid, where we just don't buy into the mainstream and off the grid typically you know people are doing a lot of stuff for themselves and when you do a lot of stuff for yourself you figure out it's a lot of hard work and you see the pros and cons of everything in fact hold on I'm going to start my car and it's going to be noisy for a minute so business is to maximize your radio beeping okay so in fact If you fix things physically, you're a handyman, car mechanic, etc. Maybe even if you're a baker. Very often also if you run a small business yourself. And I've heard that something like 85% of small businesses fail in the first five years. But if you do any stuff like that, you literally learn life is complicated with a lot of failures and it's not all peaches and roses even though your advertisement might say that and you learn to adjust as you go along each step of the way you're not looking for the perfect solution but if you're a technocrat or you're a cashier or you have a job with not much responsibility um, very often you're still looking for the American dream And unfortunately, that has been manufactured, and it was manufactured by capitalism 
for the specific purpose of creating consumerism saying if you're not happy we have this product that will make you happy thin pretty blonde uh, cool you name it so you're gonna have to really reprogram the structure of your brain this is not positive thinking this is has nothing to do with thinking this has to do with neurological changes and the only way to do that is through different behaviors and sometimes as a last resort for me but not always a last resort but for some people you might need medication I'm not pro Western medicine but if you're stuck deep in your neurological patterning you might need medication for a year or two that means you also continue to do the work you don't just take the drugs and then think oh in two years I'll get off no what's changed what did you change nothing so <clears throat> you want to look at if I take this how can I get through it what can I learn same thing by the way CBD is now a drug it's 90% of it is not organic it's manufactured it gets you high and for some reason it has been billed as cool and natural and it's not it's now in the industry <laughs> a fairly unregulated industry still by the way I hope this helps. I hope to see you at Life Path Healings. I hope that you have people to work with and to guide you, mentors, fellow travelers, and of course, the creator, your higher power. Because to me, living this kind of life, it only gets better. Yours in the journey, Dr. Marie. See you soon.